Hey, Three Circle, welcome to uh, our midweek gathering. We are studying the book of Philippians, so I'll give you just a moment right now. You may want to get your Bible out, get a notebook out and a pencil or a pen, maybe get your device ready and go to Philippians chapter 1. Last week we started with verses 1 through 6. Today we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. I love the book of Philippians. It's had a lot of different kind of titles and names, but a lot of people consider it the joy book of the Bible. And couldn't we all use a little joy right now in the situation that we're in? Uh, But the book of Philippians was actually written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, which makes it even uh, more ironic that he would be so joyful, right? Uh, He wrote this book to a group, a, a church that he had planted called the Church in Philippi. And it's about 10 years uh, when he wrote this letter to them after he planted the church. And he clearly loves these people, and he loves this church. And the church of Philippi clearly love Paul. He's kind of their spiritual father, and, and they love him. They've been generous to him. You'll see that kind of dripping out in this letter. And, and what I would call this is a thank you letter from Paul to the Philippians loaded with theology. All right, So it's like a thank you letter on steroids. It's amazing. And so he's thanking them, he's admonishing them, encouraging them. And last week we kind of landed the plane at the end of the teaching on one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 6 of chapter 1 of Philippians. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And we looked at that last week and we said often we can get so discouraged in the Christian life when we look at our day-to-day journey and we don't don't feel like we see the change that we want to see. But but I just want to remind you, that this promise in verse 6 that we looked at last week is that God will complete the work He began in you when you became a Christian. And what is that work? It's turning you into the image of Christ. Every situation, everything you go through is to make you more like Jesus. And you, some days you're not even going to be able to see it. But you are on a journey. And what we said last week is don't just look at the final product. You are a person in progress. You're in process. I've heard a lot of trainers when they're working with clients, working out, trying to get in shape, they'll tell them, hey, don't weigh yourself every day. Uh, they'll, they'll say, weigh yourself every two weeks because then you can actually see the progress. And I would say to us today, it's the same as like when you're having a house built and, and you know, we were building our facilities at Three Circle Fairhope Campus. Every, if I just looked at it every day, I would think, man, this is going so slow. But when I would leave on a trip and come back two weeks later or something like that, it would blow my mind the progress I saw. That's the idea. We have to see the progress that Jesus is making in our lives every day or we'll become very discouraged. Well, today we're going to pick up where we left off. So what we love to do is we like to study the Bible this way uh, because the Scriptures really are written uh, cohesively. And sometimes when we cut and splice verses by themselves, we kind of miss the true meaning. So great thing that we like to do, we, we like expository teaching. So even our Sunday morning teachings here at Three Circle are expository. And the way we define that is the point of the teaching or the point of the Scriptures becomes the point of the teaching. So we don't try to wrap Scripture around our ideas. We want to teach you the Scriptures. So we do that on Sundays. And and what I love about this midweek gathering is we're just going to really slowly move through the book of Philippians and we get to see the cohesiveness. These numbers that you have in your Bible were added later uh, to help us organize the Bible. But this was written as a letter. It was a free-flowing Uh, It had a linear nature to it, and it was all connected. So we get to see that when we walk through it in this way. So what we're going to do today in this midweek gathering is we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. And what we're going to do is take it verse by verse, and there's some really, really powerful things here. Let's take a look at verse 7. 
Uh, Paul says, is it right for me to feel this way about you all? He says, it is, not if. He said, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Let's take a look at that for a moment. The first thing that you see here is Paul's reminding them and all of us who read it 2,000 years later, he's in prison. He's writing this letter from prison. And he has just told them how much he loves them. And again, you can't, get a, you can't read the book of Philippians without seeing Paul's love for the local church in general and this local church. And I'll be honest with you guys, as a pastor, man, do I love Three Circle Church. Like I, I can't wait for us all to be able to be back together and worshiping in buildings together. And I love when I look on the chat room on Sundays and I see us all gathering online and interacting. And, and my, I love the local church. And I love, in particular, Three Circle Church. That's Paul. Paul loved all the churches. And you can tell he really loved uh, the church of Philippi. And he tells them, he says, I feel this way. I hold you in my heart. I wonder if we all feel that way about one another sometimes. Like if you just see church as this place you stop at on Sunday and then you forget about it and you come back in the next Sunday, you won't get the full depth of what Paul's talking about here. But man, I tell you what, if you begin to serve at Three Circle when, when the pandemic is behind us one day and we begin to have a more normal schedule, if you join a small group, even virtually right now, and get to know people, you know what happens? Your love for your local church will grow like Paul's, like the Philippian Christians here. He says, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Uh, this is interesting. Paul is describing a common thread that we all have as Christians. I bet that Paul had a different background than most of the Christians at the church of Philippi, right? They, all of us have different backgrounds. None of us are the same. So what is the connection, the glue, if you will, that holds us together as a local body of believers? What held Paul and Philippi, the, the Christians there, so close? Well, it was their common, according to Paul here, their common experience of grace. Like that is a common denominator. I've heard it said, you probably have too, that the, the ground is level at the cross. I love that statement. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're talented or you feel like you don't have a lot of talent. It doesn't matter if, if you had a, a, a wealthy family you came out of or maybe you, you didn't even know who your family was. It, it, it doesn't matter what your past looks like, whether you, you were a little more squeaky clean than the next person or maybe you, you don't like to talk about your past. We all come to the cross and the ground suddenly levels out because we all need Jesus. And if you are a believer, then you have experienced grace. It is undeserved. It is extravagant. It is unearned. But the thing you and I have in common, the thing that the Apostle Paul and the Philippian Christians had in common, the thing that they had in common with us, it even crosses the lines of 2,000 years. We have in common grace. We start there. At Three Circle, when we all do come together, even when we join together virtually right now in that chat room, I know a lot of you, so I know how different we all are. We all come together as different races, uh, different socioeconomic situations. Uh, some of us have good health. Some of us don't. Uh, some of you are struggling right now. The pandemic hit all of us uniquely. Uh, some of you have lost your job. Some of you, no problem, you still got your job. Some of you don't know what next week's going to look like and uh, what ne we next week is going to look like. And some of you uh, know what the next six months are going to look like. Like All of our situations are just really, really unique. But we do have this in common, grace. We are partakers in grace. 
And Paul says that to them. We are all partakers of grace. See, his situation was very different than the Philippi Christians. He was in prison. They were still free. They're still hanging out with their friends and doing life. And He's stuck in a prison. And he says, but we have this in common. We have grace. And he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, Paul says, hey, whether I, what he's saying is, in prison, I'm going to leverage my situation for the defense and the proclamation of the gospel. And you guys who are still free in Philippi, I know that you're going to do the same thing. He's saying, we are all partakers of grace and we are all ambassadors of that grace. And, and he understands that and he's reminding them of that, that yes, they're different. Their situations are now very different, but that he's going to continue to be all about the kingdom of God while he's in prison. And he is going to continue to trust that those Christians in Philippi are also going to leverage whatever their situation is for the gospel. That's verse 7. Look at verse 8. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection comes from the strongest Greek word for love. The word affection there literally means your inward parts are moved. Have you ever just, I know that I can, uh, I can do this when I haven't seen my kids for a few days and then I see them again, I just start to miss my kids and, and I can feel it, I can feel it deeply in my bones uh, when I miss my kids and I, I couldn't wait to see them. Uh, when we were stuck in Palestine, we didn't know how long we were going to be there and there was a chance it could have been months. We could still be there right now, frankly. And by God's grace, we got to come home. But I remember when I didn't know how long it was going to be before I'd see my kids. I could feel that in my bones. My love for them was just inflamed, if you will. And that, that word affection that Paul uses here, the Greek idea is exactly that. He loved the Philippians. He wanted to see them again. He couldn't wait. He thought about them. He prayed for them. He loved them in affection, right? With all the affection of Christ Jesus. What he's saying is that love for the church, it comes out of his love for Jesus. Like Paul says, I... I don't separate the two. I love Jesus and I love the local church. There's a connection there. I've, I've heard many people say to me before, hey, I can be a Christian without the church. Um, I, I don't need a local church. But I'm telling you that the local church, as imperfect as it can be, as difficult as it can be at times, as hard as it can be, listen, the local church is still the best place to be a Christian. It's the biblical place to be a Christian. It's where you grow. It's where you connect. Uh, even when that's virtual, the way we are right now. It's still the place to be a Christian. And Paul tells them, I have this love for you. I yearn for you. We need to develop that kind of love for each other. We really do. That's, that's what we try to do at Three Circle with small groups. And, and I think serving does that as well. We don't see uh, volunteering and serving in ministry areas at Three Circle as just a means by which we get things done. We like to say around here as a team, we want as much for people who volunteer at Three Circle as we do from them. Because here's what I've always seen. Uh, when people start serving together, they have a common uh, interest and goal together, whether that's in a kid's ministry or a student ministry or they're on a worship team together or they're shaking hands together and pouring cups of coffee, uh, whatever that is, or they go on a mission trip together. Many of you have helped us serve during this time of the coronavirus situation, I see relationships that are built when that happens. There's just an awesome synergy that takes place when we serve together. And so I think we need to develop that kind of love for each other. And if you, 
if you uh, don't have that kind of love for your local church, and I don't mean the buildings, I mean the people, then you might want to ask yourself, why? Why don't I, why don't I yearn for, why don't I have that affection uh, for the people of my local uh, assembly of believers, my local body called Three Circle Church? That's a really big thing. Paul and the Philippians, they had it for one another. And then verse 9, I I love where we're going with this. This is some powerful stuff. Paul says, it is my prayer. Okay, so we're about to hear, I'm going to pull back the curtain, if you will, and we're going to see what does Paul pray for the Philippians when he prays for them. You got me on the edge of my seat here, Paul, because I want to know when he, like, if, if I were going to hear the Apostle Paul pray for me, I'd want to know, what do you pray for me, man? Like, when no one's listening, what is it you pray? And he tells them, he says, when I pray for you, and it is my prayer, and here's what he prays. Which means this is what his hope is for them. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So this is what he prays for, and he starts with love. Now that's important. We see this theme throughout the Bible. If you want the ultimate mark of maturity from the Bible, this is a huge point, the ultimate mark of maturity is love in the Scriptures. All the apostles and Jesus Himself taught this, that if you want to go to the pinnacle of growth and maturity, the number one thing on the list that should begin to become a fruit on the vine of your life, if you are rooted in Christ, is going to be love. Love is the ultimate mark of maturity. In fact, listen to what, uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in another book that he wrote, another letter, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Maybe you've heard it before. He said this, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I have, so generosity, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, martyrdom. So Paul goes like, If you're the most generous person in the world and you're willing to martyr yourself for the kingdom of God, but have not love, I gain nothing. Those are powerful words from Paul. And it fits right, folds right back into what he's telling us here in Philippians. When he prayed for the Philippian church, he prayed not for more effectiveness first, not for more opportunities to do more ministry first. Uh, He says, I want you to become more loving. It will be the ultimate mark of maturity. And I'll say that to all of us. Look, I've been around Christianity for most of my life. I've been in ministry now probably most of my life. And what I've seen often is people can get very committed to learning the Bible and maybe not living the Bible. This book is meant to not just be known and understood, but to be lived. This book must be lived. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, hey, you can, you can become the greatest theologian in the world. You can know this book backwards. and You can become an expert. Those were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the experts on the law, the Old Testament. And they lacked love. Jesus called them out for it over and over again. And Paul comes back to it again and he says, look, if you do all of these things that we consider spiritual superstar activity, speaking the tongues of men and angels, uh, prophetic power, understanding, knowledge, he says, faith, he says to move mountains, all of that, you can, be, you can be superstar Christian, if you will. And if you aren't growing in love, you're missing it. Missing it big time. The ultimate 
mark of maturity for a believer is love. And look what he says. I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. What does that mean? He's pointing back to the process. Because you could look at it and go, oh man, if that's true, I don't see a lot of love in my life sometimes. I am really blowing it. But remember verse 6. Verse 6 that we did last week is an anchor for this boat that he's building for us. And the anchor is you are in process. You're not a finished product. Your life is a construction site, all right? There's nails and boards and saws and sawdust. It's a little messy, and it's because God's building something in you. You are not a finished product. You're still a construction site. So look in your life and see, are you becoming more loving? Not are you ultimately the most loving person in the world. Who of us are? That's Jesus we're talking about, right? The Apostle Paul, you can see that he struggled with this stuff too. But are you in process? If you're building a house and you ride by and there's no work being done, you go, where's the construction, folks? But if you're building a house and you drive by and there's boards and nails and sawdust everywhere, you go, progress. Smell the sawdust, that's the smell of progress, right? So look in your life right now and ask yourself, Am I seeing? That's why he said it. I want your love to abound more and more. That's progress. Paul says, I'm not looking for finished product. I want to know, is there sawdust on the ground of your life? Are there nails flying? Are there hammers swinging? Are there saws sawing? Is the construction site active? Abounding more and more. Am I more loving today than I was last week? Am I more patient and loving with my kids, with my wife than I was because of Jesus' work in my life? Am I more loving and patient with people who can't do anything for me? A great leader taught me that one time. He said, the true mark of how you love people is how you treat people that can do nothing for you. How am I with those people? I'm not a finished product, but is that love growing in me? Am I in progress more and more? Now, the next thing he says is, I I want your love to abound more and more. Watch this with knowledge and discernment. Now, this is important because your love, as it grows, has to be anchored in truth. That's what he says. I want your love to be growing, and I want it anchored in truth. And our ultimate truth is the Word of God. One of my favorite writers, Tim Keller, addresses this because if you don't have truth anchored to uh, uh, your love, then your love is going to get out of bounds. And if you don't have your truth and your knowledge anchored to your love, it's going to get out of bounds. Listen to how Tim Keller says it. He says, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and His grace. And there it is. Paul says, I want you to abound in your love, and I want your love and grace to be anchored in truth. And that's how we grow. That's a combination for healthy, humble growth and maturity. Lots of love anchored in lots of knowledge and discernment. And the idea of discernment means that you can make choices wisely. You know how to look and prioritize in your life. And then look look what it says next. Verse 10. This is an important verse. 
He says, so that, so the reason I'm praying for your love and your knowledge and all that, watch this, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now that idea of excellent, again, is am I in my life able to prioritize wisely? Because everything I say yes to has a corresponding no. So when I say yes to too much in my life, I'll find that I'm missing out on something. And if I make the wrong choice when I say yes to things, I often can neglect the most important things. Paul's like, this all goes together. I want you to be wise people. You're making the most of your time in your life. And then he says, I want you to be able to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is the ultimate goal. Now, what is he saying? That idea of pure, I want to talk to you about it for just a second. It's fascinating. Because the word pure that's used here in some of your biblical translations, we go back to the Greek language, it, the idea is the idea of sincerity or the idea of authenticity. Let, let me tell you what this means. So this idea comes from, in, in ancient Greek times, which Paul would have been right in the middle of, they would have these guys that would make pottery. And I've got a little piece of pottery here. And so what, what the bad guys would do, the guys that didn't make good products, let's say they broke it or they, they just didn't make the pottery well, and pottery was a big deal then. If you were to buy it, what they would do like this, they'd have a clay pot that they would paint, and what they would do before they painted it is they would find all the cracks and the impurities, and they'd put wax in those cracks. They'd let that wax dry. That piece of pottery is worthless. It can't hold anything. It can't hold any weight. It's going to fall apart. But they're just trying to sell it to an unknowing customer. And they put that wax in and then they paint it. And you would not be able to see it. If you didn't examine it, you would buy a pot that looked good but was worthless. It wasn't what it appeared to be. So the word sincerity in the Greek language comes from this. The people who made good products, they would stamp their uh, product with this Greek word, this Greek idea, and it's two words that kind of go together, and it's called sincere. All right? It's where we get our word sincere. Okay? And what it means is to be tested by the sunlight. To be tested by the sunlight. Let me tell you what it means. So, the way you would test a piece of pottery, if you wanted to know, is you would hold it up to the sunlight, and when the sun hit it, you could see where the sunlight was coming through that wax where it wasn't solid, and you'd be able to go, you know what, not buying that, because that pot looks like it's a good one, but it's not the real deal. It's got cracks all in it. It can't hold any weight. Paul grabs onto that Greek idea, and he says, that idea of sincerity, being able to be tested by the light, when it reveals what's really going on, can it hold up? Is it real? Is it authentic? And Paul says, what I want for you Philippian believers, and all of us as well, is I want your life to be able to handle the sunlight test. So let me ask it this way. I'll just put myself on the, on the block here. If I take my life and I hold it up to the light, and what's the light? The Word of God. Well, Jesus said that. This is my light. The Word is like a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. If I shine the bright light, the sun, if you will, onto my life like sunlight on pottery, will I be considered sincere? Sincere, authentic, or they're going to be cracks. And we all know we have cracks, so here's the deal. For us to grow, you can't just put wax over them and cover them up, not do anything about them. You got to face the cracks, you got to face them head on. You got to let Jesus do work in that to put you together and make you a vessel that can be used, that can be filled. 
And when Paul talks about maturity for the Philippian believers, that's what he says. He says, guys, that's what I hope for you. So my question to all of us today as we land the plane, if I were to take your life like a piece of pottery and hold it up to the light of God's Word, where are the cracks? We all have them. Are you willing to be honest about them? Or are you, like the insincere peddlers of worthless pottery, going to try to just fill it in with wax and act like it's not there? Or are you going to let the light of God's Word and truth reveal the cracks and then let Jesus and His progressive work in your life put you together? That's what Paul prayed for. It's a brilliant picture that he gives us here. And then he he says this, be blameless for the day of Christ, which means having that integrity. And verse 11 finishes out our time here at midweek. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In the end, we don't want to be great pottery for Jesus so that we look good. We want to be whole and healthy and sincere and authentic because it's for His glory. We don't want to be cracked and waxed pottery. We want to be whole and full of integrity so that we can be used, so that we can carry the weight God wants us to carry. And Paul said, I love you Philippians, and here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that when the light of truth hits your life, that it'll reveal integrity. And whether it's not integrity, you won't cover it up with wax. You'll let God do His work. And as we do that, church, we will grow and mature in Christ. Let's live a life that is sincere, sincere, authentic. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, for your truth. I pray that you will bless the hearing of it today. I pray that you would grow and mature us as a people, as individuals, families, and as a church. Let us grow in you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.